Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to DrBoyceTV.com, the home for intelligent black people. My name is Dr. Boyce Watkins, and uh, I want to jump in uh, because I, I just keep on seeing your comments and your commentary about this whole situation with Deion Sanders. Uh, in case you've been under a rock, uh, Deion Sanders uh, caused some controversy because he chose to leave Jackson State for the University of Colorado. Uh, that was a big surprise. A lot of people thought that primetime was going to hang out and bring keep his magic in Jackson. And he chose to go to Colorado. And so uh, there have been some adjustments. I decided I wanted to keep you guys posted on the developments. Uh, as Jeff Lightsey Jr. and I yesterday, we spent time uh, dissecting this issue uh, for quite a while, just kind of looking at the nuances of it. And uh, I want you guys to know, first off, there was a survey that we took amongst black people where I basically said, do you agree with Deion Sanders' decision to go to Jackson State. And uh, the majority of you said you disagreed, but some of you agreed. And uh, about 47% of you said you agree. Uh, I want to say 53% of you disagree with his decision. And uh, so I thought it was just worth exploring because I really want to try my best to hear all the points of view that are different from mine. And, uh, and I don't even think there's a right or wrong answer here. It's really a matter of understanding the nuances. You know, every decision has a pro and a con. Every decision has a yang and a yang. Every decision has an up and a down. And I want to try to help you understand just some of the dynamics of the decision. I'll give you my bias in terms of the fact that I was a little disappointed to see him leave Jackson State. Um, but, you know, it's it's everybody's right to make a decision uh, that they want to make. So uh, let me know if you can hear me. Give me a yes if you can hear me okay. Um, I'm on, um, I'm, I'm, I'm just sort of laying here in the bed actually talking to you. Uh, so I want to make sure my audio is coming through all right. So give me a yes in the chat if you can hear me all right. And uh, what's up, Terry Cobb and K KNC and Christopher Middleton and D Dunk D Dunk. Uh, he says I'm going to going to Colorado. He's going to Colorado. Yeah, he is. Uh, Dion's going to Colorado. He's going to make a lot more money than Jackson State could probably ever pay. And uh, you know, and I think that when we say things like, you know, well, he deserves, you know, or, or Jackson State should have offered him the same money. I think you need to understand Jackson State can't pay that money. Jackson State can't pay that money, you know. And um, and so I've asked you guys to kind of consider that it can't just be about the money because <clears throat> because white people control all the money. And so if you always make every decision about the money, you might as well just say, I'm going to do whatever white people tell me to do. Because when whenever black people build something good that involves all of us, Whenever we build an institution that elevates the whole community, what white folks do is because they're smart with money and collectively, they'll come and they'll pluck the very best out of that institution. It's like if you have a family business and you've got five brothers all working together, running the family business, and then the, their mama's working with them and the aunts and uncles all have jobs and they got one person in the family business that's the superstar. You know, let's say he's in the NBA or something and he's funding the business and then somebody comes along and realizes that he's the star. He's the reason the business is doing so well. And they hire him away. Well, he benefits. He wins individually. But the business flops. The business struggles. The business isn't what it used to be. And uh, and that's and I, I mentioned to you guys the other day, that's how the Negro Leagues died. The Negro Leagues died in the same way that this energy in Jackson State is dying with Dion leaving. They, they went to the Negro Leagues and they saw that they had something special going on. They saw black people building an institution that would probably be worth billions of dollars today. And they said, OK, we don't want everybody. We don't want all these Negroes in our in our space. We, we want the special Negroes. 
we're going to grab the guy at the top. We're going to grab the Jackie Robinson. We're going to make offers to a couple other players, but we don't want all the players. We don't want all the businesses. We don't want them really owning anything. We just want them to come work for us. And so, you know, the thing is that the reason that there's so many people who are just without question, completely comfortable with Dion's decision to go get the bag and get a, get a better job is because we're, we're trained to think in terms of jobs. We're not trained to think in terms of ownership. We don't think in terms of institution building. Uh, we, 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 we just say, okay, which job is paying the most money? And that's the job we take. So, because remember when Dion was building at Jackson State, he was building an institution owned by all of us, right? Like all of us, you know, have a piece of Jackson State. Now we don't control it all. It's, you know, some of these HBCUs do have a little too much influence from people who are not black, but you know, that's kind of our thing. A lot of people, a lot of black folks are benefiting from that. At Colorado State, you know, he's building Colorado State. You know, he's building their legacy. He's building their brand. He's building their their institution, you know, and black folks don't control any of that. But uh, anyway, hit the thumbs up button, by the way. Please hit the thumbs up button. I'm going to show you guys. I'm going to play a video clip. Primetime uh, was, was kind of describing or explaining some of his perspective on it. And I think that needs to be heard. So I'm going to play this clip for y'all real quick. Uh, give me a guess. Let me know if you can hear it. Okay, here we go. The thing that alarms me the most is just because I'm leaving Jackson, they think that I'm leaving African-Americans. I don't know if you notice or not, but I'm black. <laughs> <laughs> I can never leave who I am and what I am and how I am and how I go about being that. So it is still my task to look in that locker room and see 65 to 70% of African-American men trying to help them get to the next level, as well as all the others. My calling is for young men, young women, and people of all walks of life, all social climates and all ethnicities. That's my calling. My calling is not built on a location. It's built on a destination. Now, that was good. You're supposed to clap for that. <laughs> Darn it, that was good. You give me some of my good stuff. We just, we just getting started. I already went in the bag, baby. Let's go. Okay, so um, so he he made this statement, and it, you know, and and he said something like, you know, uh, I'm not here for just black folks. I'm here for all people of all ethnicities and everything else. And I get that. I mean, that's the language you got to speak at a white university. You know, if you talk too black too regularly, they're they're gonna they're not gonna be happy with that. Um, they're gonna get offended by that. But the, but the problem is that this is the sim similar language to what you hear a lot in, with the Congressional Black Caucus or what you hear with the Democratic Party. And when you hear politicians that kind of ignore the black community or when you say something about reparations and they say, you know, we're doing this for everybody, we're here for everybody. Remember, Dr. Claude Anderson was talking about that. He was saying you have to be cautious of that because they get you to the point where you're serving everybody and then you forget you know, about serving your people directly, about doing things that are going to actually benefit the community. I'm not talking about the individual. I'm not talking about the individual. You know, uh, Dion is not the first black man to get a fancy job making lots of money. There's nothing unique about that. There's nothing original about that. There are thousands of black men around the country that make either hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars building white corporations. There are uh, many black men and women, thousands of them all around the country, building white universities. There are a ton of black men and women around the country building white establishments of all forms. 
that make, making good money to do it. I mean, that's, that's not, that's not, that, there's nothing, you know, really unique about that. <clears throat> now what is unique is when you're building something that is owned and controlled by black people, you know? So for example, um, <clears throat> you know, when I was uh, on the faculty of Syracuse university I, and, and I, and I was building for Syracuse, I wasn't building for me. I wasn't building for my family. I was building for Syracuse, making a lot of good money at it. I was a high paid black man at a white university too. I know exactly what Dion's experiencing for the most part. Um, I realized that I had been duped my whole life. I realized I'd been lied to. I realized I'd been told that your job as a black man is to go out here and chase the bag, make, make the most money you can possibly make, you know, go to the best institution you can to get the most money possible <clears throat> and that's it and not think about the long-term benefit of your labor and the problem was i realized i said wait a minute i'm up in this university i, I get to teach a couple black kids there were black kids at syracuse you know Dion referenced the black men at colorado and the black women at colorado there are black there were black men and women at syracuse you know and they come they would come to see me and i was happy to um i was really happy to talk to them and meet them and hang out with them and everything else but then I realized that I wasn't around my people for real, for real. I wasn't really pouring into the community the way I could have poured into the community. Sure, I was mentoring 30, 40, 50 black kids a year. But I said, you know, I think I'm supposed to be doing more than that. I think I'm supposed to be doing more than building up the legacy of Syracuse University. I'm supposed to be building something that's owned and controlled by our community. So that's what led me to create the Black Business School. So at the Black Business School, in case you don't know about it, I mean, we are pretty much an HBCU that was built in the Black community. The difference is that we're 100% independent. We don't depend on government money or corporate money. Our core beliefs is that we believe Black people should educate our own children, create our own jobs, and support Black businesses. We have trained over 10 million Black people how to buy their first share of stock, how to buy real estate, how to start family businesses. Give me a yes in the chat. Say something in the chat if you've been financially impacted in a positive way from the things that you've learned on this platform. We have over 1.4 million subscribers. We reach a million black people a week. We're approaching a billion views on various forms of social media and, and YouTube and everything else. And, and that, was, that was what I realized that I should pour into because that's an institution that we own and control. You know, there is no there is no white man that can come in and offer a, a check or a bag that would make me walk away from the HBCU that I've helped to create. And and and, and what led to my line of thinking, you can think how you want. I mean, I get it. Dion's getting his his money. I'm happy for him. But what I what led to this line of thinking was I said, OK, I could go chase a bag. And I could go work at a big white university and build up that university and make Syracuse rich. Syracuse was benefiting. I was on national TV. I was the prime time of finance. I was. I was. I was a bad mother sucker. I'm not gonna cuss tonight because I, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to mess up the the video. But 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 seriously, I was a bad. I was a bad dude. I was the only black man in the entire United States to get a PhD in finance during the year 2002. That year, there was not another single African-American on earth that I knew of that got a PhD in finance. So I was the number one recruit. I was young and cocky. 
you know, Dion, Dion was prime time on the field. I was prime time it, when it came to finance. I was the number one finance student at the University of Kentucky. I had the highest GPA of all the black students on campus. So, so you know, he was the best defensive back in the NFL. I was, shit, I was one of the smartest black men in the country. And and so I got big money. I got big bags offered to me, you know, and and I and I took a big bag. I took a big bag and went to Syracuse. And I when I got there, I had a lot of envy. I had a lot of see a lot of a lot of maybe maybe sometimes we forget about what you got to deal with when you're working with them folks that don't really like you that much. You know, I came in, I was young, black, smart and cocky, confident as hell. They didn't like all of that. That didn't work so well. That did not blend with the culture. So I'm really curious to see how Dion is going to fit in that culture. You know, I, I don't know if he's going to fit. Cause I know that when I was at Syracuse, you know, when I came in with my little cocky ass, it did not fit. Well, they did not like the fact that I was the highest paid person on campus. Dion's going to be the highest paid person on the entire university of Colorado system. From what I understand, I think the football basketball coaches are way up there. If he's not the highest paid, he'll be top five. I don't know how they're going to feel about, you know, a guy with his demeanor, his persona, making more money than all the white people on that campus. What do y'all think? I mean, what do y'all think? Do you think, they, do you think they're going to just ignore it? you think they'll be okay with it? Or you think there might be some issues, especially if he don't come in there winning? Let's say he comes in there. Let's say he has about three, you know, seasons where they go, you know, six, five and se- five and seven, and maybe six and six, stuff like that. You, you re- I mean, how do you think they're going to react, you know, to him? And, and so, so I don't, I don't really know. I don't know. Now, you know, and I, I love I love the points that you guys are making, you know, because I, I want to hear all that. Someone said that he did it. He did it for his sons and his coaches, not himself. Um, so I, I'd be curious to know if he took all of his coaches with him, if Colorado is hiring every single coach from Jackson State or if they're hiring Dion and a couple of his friends. They don't usually hire everybody. They'll let you bring in two or three people, but they got their own infrastructure. They got their own people over there. You know, they're not going to let you just bring in everything lock, stock, and barrel. And then, you know, he does have his sons. From what I understand, one of his sons, Shiloh, um, wasn't – he didn't even play in the last game. He, was, he wasn't on the sidelines. According to Jeff Lightsey Jr., Shiloh was nowhere to be found. And Shiloh – Dion mentioned that Shiloh was in the doghouse, that he was mad at him. But I wonder if Shiloh is angry at his father for making that decision because Shiloh was deeply connected to Jackson State. He had fell in love with the culture, fell in love with the people. I'm not saying this is it. I can't speculate on a a man's personal family situation. But Shiloh, the defensive back, is not a beneficiary, from what I understand, from Deion's move. He he mentioned that he left his other son at home. Now, the quarterback, Shador, a bad boy, um, NFL prospect, um, I'm assuming he'll get the starting job at Colorado. Uh, and, and, you know, but I don't really believe that he needed to leave Jackson State to be an NFL prospect. His daddy is the greatest defensive back in the history of the NFL. So I would imagine that he could have got all the tryouts he needed. Remember, anybody remember Steve McNair? Aaron McNair played at Alcorn State, and he was so good at Alcorn State that he went to the NFL and became, you know, a legendary quarterback. So I, I don't know if being at Colorado was necessary for his sons to get an opportunity, although that is a possibility. Um, now, you know, now, now here, here's another thing. This is the point that this is the main word that sticks in my mind in terms of what's going on with Dion and why, uh, and what I want y'all to just understand in terms of why there is another point of view. The, the operative word for today is institution, institution. You can build up the individual or you can build up the institution. 
a big part of the reason that you don't have a lot of economic power in the black community is because you lost all your institutions. When they convinced you to integrate, when they convinced you that integration was the best thing since sliced chicken, their goal was to get you to abandon everything that you owned so you could come work for them. And so you could go from becoming owners to becoming employees. They needed more employees. You can go from being producers to being consumers. They need you to buy their products. They need you to buy their products. They need you to work for them. They need you to pay them rent. That that was that that's the way capitalism works. So the word institution is a, an important word for black folks because we're, we're always, you know, from from childhood, we're cha- we're trained to chase a bag and we're trained to chase a job. You know, anybody seen this? Anybody ever seen where your family members, like when you tell them you start a business, they don't even care. They don't say nothing. They don't even hit the like button when you post your product on social media. Like they look at you like they feel sorry for you. Like, like, well, one day you'll get a job. That little business you got, how's that little business doing? Right. No respect for your business at all. But if you go on LinkedIn right now and you say, I just got a new job, y'all. I'm I'm the I'm now the 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 head manager of of buckets at Walmart, y'all. Or you, you tell them you're the manager of something. I'm the I'm the manager. You know, I'm the senior uh, district manager at Oodles and Noodles. You'll get a thousand likes. People, congratulations. Way to go. Oh, my God. That's so great. Because you're speaking that language. You're speaking that job seeker language. You know, you're not you know, the, the owner language says that if you're good at your job, you're supposed to leave that job and go create a company so that other people can benefit from your talent. But the job language says that, you you know, why would you take the risk of having an, an, a company or an institution when you could just go get a paycheck, just go get a job, just go sit up under somebody's umbrella? So part, part of the reason white supremacy prospers is because you you love it. You love it. That's where you're comfortable. You're comfortable with white folks creating all the universities and then you becoming a student and going deep in student loan debt while they're using their institutional power to go gentrify your neighborhood. Tell me if I'm lying. Tell me if I'm lying. How many of y'all live in a city that's got a big white university that's buying up all kinds of property all in that area? Anybody, anybody seen this? Give me a yes in the chat if you've seen this. Has anybody seen white how white universities, and probably including University of Colorado, how they, they got your ass deep in student loan debt. This is where the money's coming from. They got you deep in student loan debt because you went to college and went in debt so you could get a job. And they're taking that money and they are gentrifying the shit out of black neighborhoods all across this country. Go look around Johns Hopkins University. It used to be the hood. Now it's got a Starbucks, a Whole Foods, a Trader Joe's, and a dog park. Go go check out Yale University uh, in, in Hartford, Connecticut. It used to be surrounded by the hood. Now it's a safe, wonderful neighborhood where white women can go jogging in the middle of the night. The list goes on and on. When I, where I was at Syracuse University, it used to be surrounded by the hood. Now they done bought all that stuff up and expanded that campus everywhere. USC used to be surrounded by the hood. Now they bought up probably a couple billion dollars worth of property and they're using your money to do it. That's why you have student loan debt, so they can go gentrify your neighborhoods. You, you're participating in your own economic destruction because you don't understand how that game of poweronomics is played. Every black man on earth looking for a job working for white people, but ain't no white people looking for no jobs working for us. They get, they get all of their labor, and they get your labor, too. You get nobody's labor, which is why your institutions don't exist. 
Joyce said Yale is not in Hartford, whatever city it's in. You know what I'm talking about. Don't let's not be picky, Joyce. Why are you picking? Why are you messing with me, Joyce? Joyce is bu- cyber bullying me. Stop cyber bullying me, Joyce. I love you. Well, wherever, whatever city Yale is in, I know it's in Connecticut. I can't remember what Stanford or so I have no idea. But the point of the matter is to say that, you know, when you're talking about institutional power, institutions are built by people that make sacrifices. Institutions can only grow and exist if you have somebody that says, you know, I really don't want a job. I actually want to build something that's going to uh, last in the community. Now, Dion may not be that dude. He may not be that guy. And I don't want to put that weight on him. I think he had the power to be that guy. But if someone doesn't have the vision, um, then it doesn't matter how great they are. You know, you got to have a greatness that matches. It's New Haven, Connecticut. Thank you very much, Afro Nation TV. See, if I get it wrong, don't make fun of me. Just correct me. You, I told y'all I ain't, I ain't perfect. I ain't trying to be perfect up in here now. Joyce, you told me I was wrong, but you didn't correct me. Just correct me. It's okay. I can, I can be corrected. And I don't even pretend to be right about Dion. I mean, I'm wrong. I'm clearly wrong about Dion because Dion has his own decision to make, and he's making it, and I and I respect that. But but I have a right also to give an alternative point of view to help us understand the the bigger picture behind all of this. So you have no institutions in your community because nobody makes a sacrifice. I want y'all to guess. Guess how much it costs to purchase um, the Chicago Bears. Guess how much they paid uh, to a, a couple generations ago to create the Chicago Bears? Can anybody guess? Anybody know? If you watch this chat, you you probably know. If you watch this uh, channel, you probably know how much the Chicago Bears cost. How much the Chicago Bears cost when they when that team was purchased a hundred years ago, less than a hundred years ago, or about a hundred years, something like that. It was one hundred dollars. They paid one hundred dollars for the Chicago Bears. Now, I want you to go look up what Chicago Bears are worth right now. I'm going to guess about four to five billion dollars. Four to five billion dollars. The New York Giants were purchased around the same time by another family that had a long term vision of institution building. And the New York Giants that were purchased for five hundred dollars, they're now worth over five billion dollars. So you got a rich white family that could buy buy your mama 10 times over. They could buy up. They could buy every HBCU in America right now, and they have that wealth because somebody had a vision and and wanted to invest in building an institution. They wanted to build an institution. I could keep going down the list. There's plenty of other NFL teams, even Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys. He he bought the Cowboys not that long ago. He bought the Cowboys in 1989, the same year Deion Sanders. Um, came and graduated from college, if I'm not mistaken. I think he was in the NFL draft in, in 1989. Uh, who bought the Dallas Cowboys the same year Deion Sanders left college for $150 million, $150 million. Now the Cowboys are worth $8 billion. And Jerry Jones and his old racist ass it has $8 billion. And Jerry Jones, by himself, could buy every single black institution in America, damn near. He could buy every HBCU in this country and still have a few billion dollars left over. So so he, so that's the difference. That's what institution building looks like. That's what wealth in America actually looks like. You got you ain't got no real wealth. You got a bunch of rich negroes. 
you got a bunch of $100,000, $500,000, million dollar, million dollar shiny Negroes with gold chains and that talk, do a lot of loud talking, but don't have any other patience or resilience necessary to engage in long-term institution building. Hardly none of them have the ability to build something that's going to be worth several billion dollars in, 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 within a generation or two. Jerry Jones now, you know, again, as racist as he was, he could be completely racist, get busted being racist. I mean, people saw him in that picture from 1950-something or whatever it was, and he don't give a shit. <laughs> he don't got to answer to you. He ain't going on no apology tour. <laughs> they gave Kyrie Irving a long list of demands like he was an eight-year-old. Jerry Jones ain't got to do shit for you. You know why? Because he's got independent wealth and power that came from a long-term vision that engaged significant institution building and made a sacrifice in order to buy a sports team that's now worth about, I don't know, what is that, about 30, 40 times the original value. There's a lot of black people who could start a sports league right now if they wanted to, but they just don't have the vision. They just don't have the vision. You know, so, so, you know, I, I would say that there's a lot of ways to kind of interpret this. And, uh, and I know that I know the alumni, I, I know that the, the board of directors at, 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 uh, at Colorado and, and the trustees and, and all the donors are happy. They're like, wow, we went and we found this guy. And now think about it. Mind you now, these are the same people that, that wouldn't have hired Dion two, three years ago. They had no interest in hiring Dion two, three years ago. They, they didn't consider him qualified two or three years ago. They're willing to hire him now because Jackson State gave him a chance when nobody else would. See, everybody talks about what Dion did for Jackson State, but nobody talks about what Jackson State did for Dion. <clears throat> Does anybody know that? Anybody Has anybody really followed this? Jeff Lightsey Jr., go check out Jeff Lightsey Jr. At, at the Black Boss channel. He can give you the whole history. He's, he's one of the great leading experts on HBCU sports right now. And Jeff <clears throat> talked about the fact that he, I didn't even know this, that when Dion started coaching at the college level, nobody would hire him. For even Florida State, the school that he gave so much to. I mean, he took her, he hooked Florida State up. He put them on the map. <clears throat> Florida State was like, yeah, we liked your black ass when you were dancing in the end zone, but we really don't want you on the sideline getting white man coach money. We don't, we, <laughs> we don't need that. We don't trust you with that position because we don't think you have the intellect to do that job. So, so Jackson State was one of the few schools, if, the, if not the only school, because Dion was coaching high school. He was an offensive coordinator at a high school. So, so Jackson State <clears throat> took a chance on him. You know, so, so let's not just, let's not get it twisted. You know, we know our HBCUs are not perfect. There's a lot to criticize for sure. There's weirdness, dysfunctionality, bureaucratic problems, all kinds of things. But let's just be clear. Dion did. Yes, he did a lot for Jackson State, but it wasn't like he went there out of the goodness of his heart. He went there out of desperation. He went there out of necessity. If Dion could have skipped Jackson State and went straight to the the so-called white leagues or the, the or he called they call them the big leagues. I would call them the white leagues. If he could have jumped straight to Colorado and skipped over Jackson State, he totally would have done that. Y'all think he went to Jackson State because there's all this love, like, oh, I got to go be with my people. I got to go pour into an HBCU. <laughs> that, that wasn't his line of thinking. I mean, I'm not saying he didn't do it. I'm not saying he didn't make the most out of the opportunity or out of the situation while he was there. But they were blessing him. He was not blessing them. They had other 
qualified, experienced coaches that wanted that job. And they and it was the the brilliance of the athletic director, apparently, from what I understand, that led to Dion getting the opportunity. So <clears throat> so ultimately, you know, I, I really kind of think that um, just be, having the ability to at least see this from multiple perspectives is really important. I get it. I get the people that say, you know, yeah, it's $5 million, you know, or $7 million a year, whatever it is. That's great, you know, and, and it's a power five school. I understand all of that. I've totally, I totally hear that argument. I totally hear it. So the question I ask you is, can you hear the other argument yourself? Can you hear the other argument? Or are you so stuck on the money piece that you can't see anything else outside of the money? You can't see the loyalty piece. You can't see the pro-black piece. You can't see the institution building aspect. You can't see the community aspect versus the individual. You can't, if you, if you, if all you can see is the money, then you should probably just put on like a white lives matter shirt and just become a Klansman because you're basically a white supremacist. If, if all you see is the bread, <clears throat> then I, and I explained this to y'all. I explained this to you earlier. I'm explaining it again. If all you see is the money, and I'm saying this as an expert on money, my whole doctorate is in money. I understand how money flows, how money grows, the power of money, the psychology of money, all this stuff. Money is a drug. I get it. Dion himself understands money. He had a song called Must Be the Money, right? So, <clears throat> so if all you see is the money, then you're a white supremacist. And the reason that you're, you're thinking like a white supremacist is because if, if I'm a black man and I say, <clears throat> yeah, I'm going to be with my people when I can and I'm going to build for my people when I can in my spare time. But if the white if somebody offers me more money, I'm going to go get that bag. I'm going to get that money. Well, if you think that way all the time, then effectively, you're just basically going to go wherever he wants you to go. This is called economic warfare, black people. This is what they've been doing to you for a long time. This is why you, you don't understand why your wealth isn't growing. Because they they use, the, the white man is masterful at using his economic power to make people do things. So, <clears throat> so basically what they kind of know in their head is, okay, black people are easily fooled. Um, they all, all they do is they teach their children to chase the bag. We got all the bags because we're white and white people have most of the wealth in this country. So whenever we want black people to change their behavior, all we got to do is offer them a couple of dollars and they'll do it. Tell me if I'm wrong. Tell me, tell me, tell me if I'm wrong. Tell me you can prove to me that there are scenarios where <clears throat> large amounts of money is being offered and black people say, no, we're not, we're not going to do that. Just, no, you could offer us a million dollars. We're not interested in the money. Tell me. Tell me if I'm wrong. You know I'm right. So I'm not saying Prime is a loser, a bum, or a sellout. No, he's he's actually probably doing it what's you know very popular right now. Like this is like he's he's doing what a lot of people would do. And that's and 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 that's to me unfortunate because in my view, I see that as playing checkers. And you lose because your adversary is playing chess. That's why they went to your grandma's house in 1989, <clears throat> offered her 30% um, above the value of her home, 
and bought that house and you got excited because your grandma got $80,000 for a $60,000 house. And now 30 years later, I can go to that same neighborhood and see your grandma's house on sale for $450,000. That, that's what, that's, that's what that is. That's, that's called investing. That's called long-term planning. <laughs> this is another reason why uh, if I go out and I look at the most powerful, most wealthy universities in this country, I see hundreds of universities, white owned, that have endowments of well over a billion dollars. I don't see one single HBCU with a $1 billion endowment, not one, not one. USC uh, is a mediocre school. It's, it's, it's a good school, but it's not Harvard. It's not Duke. It's not Yale. USC a decent school, maybe top 50, top 60, literally has an endowment where they could literally buy every HBCU in America about 20 times over. <laughs> and I remember when Dr. Dre, bless his heart, Dr. Dre wrote a check with Jimmy Iovine to USC for an amount of money that would have transformed any HBCU in this country. And I did not understand it. And shout out to that HBCU president down Xavier. I'm trying to remember his name, Kimbrough. Shout out to Dr. Kimbrough, who wrote, who, who did a really wonderful job of writing a very eloquent article, politely explaining to Dr. Dre why his actions were ridiculous, why that just doesn't make any sense. USC didn't even need the money. USC spent that money in about two weeks. But an HBCU could have taken that massive donation and probably educated 100,000 black kids with it. <laughs> so so I, 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 I just will say that, you know, with this whole thing with Prime, I, I just really wish, you know, I wish we could kind of understand. You know, again, it's not really me saying you have to agree with me. I, I'm not saying that anybody has to agree. I get it. I, I mean, I actually agree with that. I disagree with myself. That's how weird I am. I disagree with myself because I want to understand both sides of an argument. I want to understand both sides very well. I, I think, I mean, tell me if there's any other factor I'm missing. When Dion goes to Colorado, there's five to seven million dollars. There is also um, the chance for he and his sons to be on a big stage nationally. Um, you know, I imagine there's going to be a better job in, in the future. You know, he'll either get fired or he'll end up um, or he'll end up getting a better job at a higher university. Do I understand sports? Um, you know, I don't I don't know if I understand sports as well as everyone, but I definitely am a big sports fan. I, I'm, you know, I went to Ohio State. I watch college football very closely. I know that my Buckeyes are in the top four and they're going to get a chance to play for a national championship. That makes me very happy. Um, I played all the sports when I was a kid, mostly basketball, football, and track. A little bit of baseball, not too much. My father was good at baseball, but I never knew my father, so he never had a chance to teach me. And uh, and so, so I so I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I'm a sports expert. But the thing is that this is so much bigger than sports. You know, this is really again, this is really just solely about taking a moment to reflect on how white people have lots of institutions in their community. And you have almost none. And the reason you don't have any is because whenever you get something good going, first thing they'll do is try to buy you out. First thing they'll do. That's how they stole your hip hop music. You had the best rappers and the best DJs and the best parties. 
right there in the South Bronx. You had a trillion dollar industry right there in the South Bronx. They, they could have, would have, would have become a trillion dollar industry. But when they saw what you had going on, when they saw the swag that you had, Primetime ain't the first guy in the black community to have swag. You had DJ Cool Herc, Grandmaster Flash, Africa Bambada, KRS-One. You had the best of everything. You had something money could not buy. Well, you know, when they came by with a bag, everybody just kind of sold out and, you know, was thinking about self. Nobody was thinking about institution building. The only people that came close to that, to some extent, might have been like Russell Simmons. Russell Simmons was one of the few. And, and unfortunately, you know, he had these partnerships with, with people in the Jewish community and whatnot. And, uh, and, and the, the Jewish community, they don't sell their bag like that. Like they don't sell their uh, secret sauce as, as quickly as we will. So they kind of get into business deals and they're able to take control of those business deals because they, they make their kids as good at business as our kids are at basketball. That is a cultural uh, decision. That is a cultural norm that they possess that you should probably pay attention to because it explains why you spend so much time being frustrated because they control all the media and so much of the banks and so many other institutions in this country. You know, you really can't offend the Jewish community because they make sure they put themselves in a position of power through what institution building, institution building. So ultimately, you know, um, uh, I'm going to put a genius gaming says a lost voice on his hate and lack of intelligence on this subject. Well, if I'm incorrect on a certain area, I would challenge your intelligence and ask you to correct me. Tell me where I'm wrong. Uh, but if you think I'm a hater, then I guess I must be a hater because somebody's got to hate on the culture. You know, if we have this culture where we're always economically losing, then, yeah, I'm a hate on that. If we have a culture where we always want to be in last place economically as a people, yeah, I'm a hate on that. If we want to have a culture where our community, our institutions, our schools are the worst ones and the least funded and the least supported and, and the most abandoned. Yeah, I'm a hate on that. You know, uh, and, and, and it really comes down to this um, thing where you got to stop sort of training your kids to, to not just chase the bad, but chase these shiny objects. You know, I, I, I would really dare to say, you know, if you if you talk about um Dion being that dude, you know, he always says, I'm that dude, I'm that dude. To me, if you're that dude, then you should be that dude no matter what you, no matter where you are or what you're affiliated with, right? If you're that dude, he's going to be that dude at Colorado. Now, whether or not they are open to that culturally, I'd be, I'm really curious to see how that plays out. I know that when Dion gets there, you know, he's going to have a diverse audience. Um, some of them don't like all the, you know, all the chains and the, the bragging and the swag and all that. And if you remember 30 years ago when Dion was really doing his thing, he started it at Atlanta in, at, at, with playing for the Atlanta Falcons. And in Atlanta, they like that stuff. You know, it, I had an Uncle John who was just like Dion. He had he had four or five rings on his fingers. He had about four or five chains. He had a couple gold teeth. You know, like he liked Dion. He liked that style. Whereas I wonder if that style worked as well when he was playing for the Dallas Cowboys or whatever, he, but he was a great player. So maybe, maybe that worked out for him, but I'm really curious to see how the people in Colorado feel, especially if he doesn't, if he's not really able to win, you know, like that's the football fan in me. I'm really, I'm going to really watch the team to just kind of see, you know, how things work out. I, I want things to work out for him. I want him to do well. And he's impressed me as a coach. You know, I really, think uh that he deserved an opportunity and i think it's kind of unfair that uh he didn't get one earlier um 
but I just, I just, I just feel like we we kind of missed such an opportunity though. And I'm gonna tell you this though: if he doesn't win, if he can't win in Colorado, it's gonna be real messy for him. Um, you know, they'll they'll run they'll run you out of town. College football don't play. They'll, <laughs> they they got too much money on the line. If you ain't winning now, Jackson State, you know they they might let you sit there and lose it, have a couple losing seasons. I don't really know if Colorado would give that sort of leeway. So my prediction is that within three years, Dion will either walk up or walk down. Like he'll either um, go to a better job, maybe a Notre Dame or uh, you know a Florida State or something, or even you know I don't know Alabama or something, or he'll step at or he'll end up stepping back down. You know, um, so I, I'm curious to see how it plays out. That that's the football fan in me, but the institution builder in me is really trying to help you at least understand that this this is why your family this is why a lot of black family businesses don't do well. You know, when I was in Baltimore and I was going through Baltimore and um there was this old parking lot where they the, this guy told me there used to be a mall there. there used to be a black owned mall in that parking lot and all these black businesses used to be in that spot. And I said, "Well, what happened? Like what you know, where the businesses go?" And they said, well, in the next generation, the kids didn't want to take over the businesses. The kids just wanted to get jobs. And so basically the businesses died because the kids just were like, it's not cool to be part of the family business. Why would I want to build something of my own when I can just go work for this corporation that's going to pay me a lot of money? And what we don't see when it comes to wealth is we see the paycheck. We don't see the residuals of the paycheck. We don't see the capital gains. We don't see the long-term benefit. Like you go to your job and they pay you well. Let's say they pay you a quarter million dollars a year. You you work yourself, you work, you work your ass into the ground, you spend up all your money, and then you die at your desk. And then the corporation's bigger and stronger because you were there. But none of that goes to you and your family. None of that goes to your kids. That goes to his kids. That's his legacy. You know, they just, you know, replace you and put somebody else in, in that spot. So, you know, with, when, with, you know, what I see the difference is with, with Dion being at Jackson State versus being at Colorado is if he builds up Jackson State and makes Jackson State great, then, you know, yeah, he makes less money, but the city of Jackson wins, you know, the, the HBCUs win, the black community wins, you know, maybe he can, he gets those corporations to pour money in and their endowment grows to, you know, a billion dollars or something, right? So a lot of people win, but if he goes to Colorado, and he wins a, a national championship. Well, that's not none of that. None of none of that is owned by the black community. None of that long term benefit goes to black people. Now he wins personally, but the black community does not win. So you know, and the thing is that this happens in a lot of African countries. That's why you can go to Nigeria, and you know that Nigeria has more oil than damn near every country on the planet, if I'm not mistaken. I think they have the largest oil reserves on Earth. So you would think that a country that has the largest oil reserves on earth or among the largest would have the wealthiest society on earth that the people, you know, everybody would have plenty of money like Saudi Arabia or some shit, but it's not like that. Uh, You know, Nigeria has a lot of extreme poverty and you have to ask yourself, how is it that a country can have the most valuable oil on the planet, trillions of dollars in oil reserves and have all that damn poverty? Well, the reason they have all that poverty is because the leadership sells the oil to Europeans and they take care of themselves financially and they leave the people out of the deal. They think about the individual, but they don't think about the community. 
And when that does happen, when you have leaders like um, Ken Sarah Wewa 30 years ago, who tried to take care of the community, who started asking those hard questions, they just killed him. They killed Ken Sarah Wewa. So, so basically, in the black community, you have the exact same issue that you have in Nigeria. The question would become, okay, black wealth is much lower than white wealth. Black wealth is going down. Black people have some of the ugliest hoods in America. Black people have extreme poverty. And these these really poor, broken, busted up neighborhoods have produced some of the richest, most famous hip hop artists on the planet. They produce some of the best athletes on the planet, billion dollar athletes. How is it that a community could produce tens of billions, if not hundreds of billions of dollars worth of natural resources in its athletes and its entertainers and in its culture and still have so much poverty and have such a lack of power? Well, it's because of mindset. You never had leaders that made the sacrifice to engage in enough institution building to ensure that all people benefit and not just some of the people. You have uh, a lot of validated narcissism, a lot of validated narcissism where I can be a rapper and I can literally say, look, look at my hood. In my hood that I'm from, Nobody can eat. And where I'm from, everybody gets killed. Where I'm from, people can't even go to the grocery store because they're so poor. But look at me. I'm shining. I got a Bentley. I got a, a mansion. I got. I just bought 10 Balencia out, outfits in a, in a Gucci bag. Right? I can say all of that. And there's very few people that will stand up and say, how is it that you got a Bentley and, and a, 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 10, 10 Balencia outfits in a Gucci bag and a, a mansion and your hood that you're claiming to represent in every album is struggling like that. Like nobody says that because it, because eventually somebody will jump in front of them and say, man, why are you hating? Why are you hating? Why, why are you pocket watching? Why you, why you got your hand in that man's pocket? No, what, 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 no, right. Like, so, so we kind of beat each other down like that. Like we don't allow, we're not real. Some of us, not all of us, but some of us are just not interested in the expression of, higher level righteous ideas when it comes to how we assess the world and assess our situation. You know, so so I think with the Deion Sanders thing, um, and some of you get me, some some of you are listening and I get it. So a lot of you, um, you know, understand where I'm coming from. Some of y'all are just going to use stupid terms like hater and stuff. That's, you know, come on, man, I'm 51 years old. Let's see, let's use grown up language. Let's not talk like 12 year old rappers. Um, you know, but at, at the end of the day, I just really think it's important to be able to understand why some people are not happy about the abandonment of our institutions. And I want to point that out so that you know that the abandonment of your institutions is, is the reason that your institutions are not strong. And I also want you to know that the Jewish community does not do this to their institutions. And that's why their institutions are stronger than yours. So for those of you that understand that, what I here's the way the way you can apply this right now is you can think about your family business and think about the culture that you raise your children in. What I would do if I wanted to have a multi-million dollar family is I would raise my children to have the best economic skills that they possibly can. I would make sure that they're well trained in all areas, financial, et cetera. 
And in fact, we have a whole black business school for kids called Black Millionaires of Tomorrow. Uh, you can find it on my website. It's all at boycewalkins.com. It's in the black business school. It's called Black Millionaires of Tomorrow. It's a whole curriculum. I put that together based on what I taught my students at Syracuse University. And basically, make sure your kids are economically well-trained. Make sure that they have discipline so they can apply what they know. And then more, most importantly, tell them there is nothing more valuable than the family business. There is no place that you'd rather be than next to your brothers and sisters. There's no place where you are safer than when you're with your clan, than when you're with your clique. There's no job out here that, that you can ever have that can pay you enough money to make you feel like you're in a better place than you are when you are pouring into the family. There's no institution you can pour into that matters more than this one that we got right here, right? And that's really important to understand because, you know, when you're talking about building up major corporations, that takes a sacrifice, man. Somebody's got to pass up a job for that to happen. Elon Musk became the richest man on earth because he got to a point in his career where he said, I'm no longer looking for a job. I'm looking to build an institution. Jeff Bezos became one of the richest men on earth by owning Amazon because he walked away from a $300,000 a year job. He wasn't just chasing the bag. He was chasing the power. UPS was founded by two teenagers who were delivering packages on their bicycles less than 100 years ago. And they eventually built a company that's worth a quarter of a billion dollars. I could keep going on and on and on down the list. Institution building, baby, that's how you get that power. So look around you and ask yourself, what institution am I pouring into that has a chance to give my family power? And if you can't think of anything, then that means you might need to shift your priorities because that could mean that you're pouring into an institution that is not owned and controlled by you. That's my point. That's what I want to say. Thank you for listening. Hit the thumbs up button. Thumbs up, thumbs up, share, subscribe. Um, we're doing a Black Wall Street training that starts on December 6th. Uh, it's going to be all about how the black folks it built institutions on Black Wall Street 100 years ago. Um, how old, uh, 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 Mr. Gurley and all the others went out there and uh, started uh, remember O.W. Gurley, who created Black Wall Street and all those black millionaires out there? Uh, he did the same thing. He could have chased a bag. He got offered a lot of great jobs back back east, <laughs> and he and they were shocked. They were like, why would you leave a great a good job to go out there in Oklahoma where there ain't nothing out there? They ain't got no money to give you. He said, because I want to build something for my people. So O.W. Gurley, that, that, that's a bad dude. That, that You talk about being that dude. Go look up, go have your kids learn about O.W. Gurley. O.W. Gurley could have got any job he wanted. White people liked him 100 years ago, and they didn't like that many of us. O.W. Gurley could have taken good care of himself and his family. But you know what O.W. Gurley did? He said, I want to build something that's going to last, a legacy that's going to last far beyond my death. So he went out to Oklahoma, and he started Black Wall Street. He got 40 acres of land. He broke it up into pieces. <clears throat> he recruited other great black people. And he started businesses right in, on that property. And next thing you know, they had hundreds of businesses right in that little community. Now, sure, you know, the story didn't end the way we wanted it to. But, you know, to me, 
that's what I saw when I saw Deion Sanders going to Jackson State. And I said, man, it would be so great if he could get the corporate sponsors to start dumping the money and get those players, those NIL deals, get that money into the institution. And then he will become a millionaire off that. He could make millions of dollars off that. I don't know if he's a millionaire now. I mean, I know he made a lot of money playing football, but I don't know if he's a millionaire. And my, you know, because and I question that a little bit because, you know, in my mind, if you're if you're just pouring in money and you've got so many millions of dollars, you can't count them then what a job pays you shouldn't even matter at that point. You should be beyond jobs by that point. Right. So, so that, so I don't know, I don't, I don't know where his economic situation is, but I, but what I saw was I saw a scenario where Jackson state probably would have, and probably still will, you know, like gain an extra hundred million dollars in the next, you know, three or four years. I mean, think about it. You're filling up stadiums because your fans are so loyal. Those those are tickets. People buying those tickets. You're getting eyeballs on national television. ESPN did college game day down there. You've got all kinds of uh, corporations that are now paying attention to what you got going on down at Jackson State. I mean, that Jackson State is going to do well, uh, you know, regardless. Like, I, I th- this is the part that actually makes me really happy is that Jackson State is really kind of on the map now and you can't sort of forget that they exist. And now that that job um, is as much as I hate the fact that it's seen as a stepping stone position, uh, there are going to be a lot of great people that are going to apply for that position. And so now all they have to do is convert all that attention into additional resources. And I can tell you, if you have something like I, how about this? Here's, here's what I'm saying. Like, if you understand economics, you can see that energy, and you can see how that energy could be converted into money. It's almost like converting fuel into combustion or into energy. Like you, you understand how the process works. So like I could go to Jackson state right now. And if I control that energy and control that economic environment, I can find a way to bring in an extra $50 million next year. Right. Because when you got people and people are coming together and people are excited about things, you can monetize that in ways you would not believe. And uh, so I think Jackson State's going to do really well. I think the HBCUs are going to really benefit. And what HBCUs really need is they need their own independent economic base because y'all too, y'all too, you're too great. You're too, your tradition is too proud for y'all to be begging, you know, but you got to produce more poweronomics minded graduates. Every single student, if I was running an HBCU, every single kid in that damn school would have to read then damn near memorize poweronomics. Every one of them. I would have every one of them learning poweronomics, and then I would I would teach them the history of how wealth is built in this country, and I would help them understand the disparities so they could go out there and, and conquer the world and own assets and buy real estate, buy stocks and bonds, make investments, build you know all kinds of wealth and, and you know, through a, a thousand different revenue streams. I, you know, I just really think that you can't just you can't run institutions where you're training everybody to go work for white people. That's my point. And I'm not saying HBCUs do that. I'm not saying that at all. But my Lord Jesus, I mean, you know, when you're going to work for other people, just understand you're not making yourself rich. You're making them rich. You know, those jobs don't pay enough money for you to really build a lot of independent wealth. You know, the, but the people who own the job, the, the guy who gave you the job, oh, he's building independent wealth. You know, so so I just kind of, I just kind of think we got to think at a higher level, and you know, and if you never learn to think above the rim, then you're gonna always be confused by the people who have learned to play above the rim. So I, I really think that wealthy whites, and and wealthy blacks, um, and Jews, uh, I think they've learned how to play the rim, and I and I, I play above the rim, and I really think that as black people, 
that should just be our standard. So have your kids read books like Powernomics, teach them those principles, uh, make sure they understand words like ownership. Uh, you know, that's really important. Make sure that they understand the importance of investing, which means make a sacrifice today so you can have more tomorrow. Uh, you know, I walked away from a really high paying job to start my business and, uh, and it was scary and it was really hard. Um, but eventually after I made about $20 million, I realized that I was very happy that my job thing didn't work out. And so when, 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 after I made a few million dollars, I was like, oh, okay, thank you, God. I get it now. I, I'm glad you forced me out of my baby crib where I was nice and comfortable and pushed me out into a scenario where I was going to find, um, you know, the way to be my best self, you know? And so I'm just telling you, man, this is, that's where wealth comes from. That's why Harvard's endowment is 40 something billion dollars because they have entrepreneurs that go out and create multi-billion dollar companies that can easily come back and write a hundred million dollar check. HBCUs don't have that. They don't have anybody that can write the checks that size. So when they get their donations, when they go to do fundraisers and they need to raise a hundred million, they can't do it a lot of times, you know? So, um, that's it guys. I'm, I'm just kind of, uh, I'm doing a lot of talking now and I know some people are going to disagree with me and I totally get it. And, and it doesn't make, and it's not even, um, you know, it doesn't, it wouldn't even make sense for me to, to try to explain that I don't hate Deion Sanders. I actually want him to do well. I'm, I'm going to watch Colorado and cheer for them. He gives me a reason to cheer for Colorado. I like, I want to, I like the underdog and I want to see him do well, but at the same time, I think, um, I, I don't, I, I just, I just, I think we missed an opportunity here, but maybe somebody else will come along and do an, an even better job. But you got to learn how economics and power works in this country and you got to build institutions because if you don't, the white man will always kick you around. You know, all these guys that are that are mad because they can't, you know, get an NFL team to sell them 10 percent of the team, you know, like, you, you know, whatever, or, or, you know, or mad that Jerry Jones, you know, wasn't forced to apologize like Kyrie Irving. Jerry Jones ain't got to apologize for shit. He owns America's team. He has an eight billion dollar entity. Jerry Jones don't in his mind, he don't owe you no apology because he could tell you to kiss his whole entire pasty white ass. And he's still going to be making another hundred million dollars next week. So I, I just tell you at the end of the day, when you have ownership, you can kind of do what you want. Um, but as long as you're chasing bags by trying to work for people, you're going to be stressed out. That's how the system works. That's capitalism. All right, guys. Well, have a good night. It was fun talking to you. Thanks for hanging out with me late, late at night like this. I, I don't even, I don't even plan on doing this, but I, but, I, but I thought that actually, you know what, before I go, I should play Dion's video so you can hear his perspective. Cause I think he deserves that respect. So here's what uh, he had to say to Colorado when he got there. Here you the go. thing that alarms me the most is just because I'm leaving Jackson, they think that I'm leaving African-Americans. I don't know if you noticed or not, but I'm black. <laughs> <laughs> I can never leave who I am and what I am and how I am and how I go about being that. So it is still my task to look in that locker room and see 65 to 70 percent of African-American men trying to help them get to the next level, as well as all the others. My calling is for young men, young women and people of all walks of life, all social climates and all ethnicities. That's my calling. My calling is not built on a location. It's built on a destination. Now, that was good. You're supposed to clap for that. <laughs> Darn it, that was good. You give me some of my good stuff. We just, 
We just getting started. I already went in the bag, baby. Let's go. <laughs> You know, I, I'm gonna tell you, he's got a lot of charm, and um, and I really liked what he had to say, um, kind of in general. And I understand why he said it that way. You know, I mean, I, I think at, at University of Colorado, you can't really do the whole pro black thing, um, you know, the way you can at a Jackson State. And so, um, you know, because I think that if he talks too black, he ends up risking offending, you know, all the white people that he works with, and um. And then, and then he, he mentioned something about um, being able to help the black students that are at Colorado. And I get that. Like, I, I used to feel that way. You know, again, when I worked at Syracuse, I used to think, well, I want to be here for the black students at Syracuse. When really, I realized eventually, like, none of us should really be here. Because most of the black students at Syracuse, when I was there, they were being mistreated. There was a lot of racism. Uh, most of them are still in debt, um, the student loan debt. Um, I got students I taught 20 years ago who still haven't paid off their student loans. And and I and I wasn't where I needed to be. You know, I needed to actually be developing the black business school and doing something in the black community. I didn't need to be, you know, sitting up under somebody else, you know. And the thing is that um, in your community, you have some people that are really just too great to be under somebody's tent. You know, like like you're, you if you're as tall as a tent pole, you can't fit under somebody else's tent. And so, um, you know, with, with a guy like Dion, I think he's he's got that special it factor where I, I just hate the idea that he feels like he needs the University of Colorado to validate him uh, when he can validate himself. And, uh, you know, but it, but it's a journey. You know, I, I um, you know, I, I had to grow into that. You know, when I created the Black Business School, I, you know, people was, would ask me, they'd say, you know, hey, are you going to try to seek accreditation? And I said, why would I seek accreditation from an inferior educational system that's proven that it's incapable of properly educating black people? No, we don't seek accreditations. We give accreditations. You know, we are the authority. You know, we are the temple. You know, uh, in finance, you know, I'm, I'm OK with saying, yeah, I am that dude. You know, like Dion says, I am that dude on the football field. Well, I, I was that dude. When it came to finance, I was the Wall Street Journal outstanding graduate and senior in finance. I had the highest GPA of all the black students, and it was very easy to do. It wasn't like it was even hard. I was literally dominating in that field. I, I could run circles around some of the smartest people, you know, in the world. And um, I was smarter than most of my professors by the time I got done. I mean, I, I was that dude. And and I think that in your community, you have a lot of genius young black men and women and you miss you, you lose a trillion dollars every generation because you take great men and women and you turn them into fucking employees. You know, like a, a person who is a winner is not supposed to be following behind a loser. A person that can go 100 miles an hour should not be forced to run behind somebody who can only go 50 miles an hour. You know, so a lot of your kids, they're so great. They're so bad. They're so brilliant. Some of y'all got kids that are so smart that they need to be their own boss. You know, they're, they're, they're built to be leaders, they're winners, they're, they're, they're super sharp, and they're only going to get frustrated sitting behind somebody who not only isn't as smart as them, but infuriates them with all their bullshit. And, I, and it makes me think about how I felt. I remember when I was at Syracuse University, and I, I've been on the faculty for a while, and I had a conversation with the dean. And he happened to be a black man. And... And I remember saying to him, I said, you know, I understand that 
you guys don't like me very much. The the institution doesn't like me. Y'all know y'all want me out of here. I said, but and and I and, and you know and and I know that you're gonna make an argument that maybe I'm not qualified because I feel like that's kind of what they do to black people in general. I said, but truth be told, that argument isn't gonna work on me now because it it, it might it worked on me when I was ten. When I was ten, my white teachers would tell me. I wasn't smart enough or that I wasn't, that I was too hyperactive. I need to be put on medication. They do that to a lot of your sons, by the way. So just be real careful. They really want to put the smart black boys on medication because sharp black boys that question everything are a real threat to the system. It's not the thugs. The thugs are not a threat. They just kill the thugs. They throw them in jail. You know, they're just fulfilling stereotype. It's the little geniuses that they worry about the most, the geniuses with courage. And I was a genius and I had courage. And, uh, and I said, but you know, now, I said, I'm a, I'm a grown man and, I, and I'm not falling for the hype. I'm not letting you all define me anymore. So um, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that um, it's not me being unqualified. That's the issue here. The issue is that you haven't even promoted a single black person in the last 100 years in the field of finance, which tells me that this institution is either too racist to, to, to accurately judge talent or you're just too stupid to see talent when it's in front of you. So either way, um, I need to leave here because I need to go find my true destiny because I've outgrown this place. I've outgrown this situation. I'm I'm not built to be, you know, th- your employee. I'm supposed to go create something of my own. And and that was my mindset, you know. And and I and and the thing is, I know everybody can't do it. Everybody can't, you know, go create an institution and build something great but i think a lot more of us can and confidence is a big part of that like you really got to believe in yourself and the problem with white supremacy is that once them damn white folks get in your head they be having you second guess yourself like crazy like they, they'll have you in there just you know like wonder well maybe i wasn't quite i was late to the job five times you know in the last year and and I did, I did misspell something on the legal brief. And so maybe that means I'm not good enough. So they'll have you, they, they, you know, when they kill your confidence, what they do, what happens when your confidence gets killed is your desire to take chances goes way down. You're already from a scared conservative community. You're already from a community where they, they came out of slavery, where we had to be scared and conservative just to survive. So especially if you talk about a black boy that's got a single mom that just wants him to be safe and, 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 and OK, you know, every time he gets his instincts, tell him to go take a chance and fight for something. His mother might just tell him, no, 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 don't do that. These things are going to happen. And I went through that. I remember just hearing people that love me tell me. Like, no, 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 if you do that, you're going to mess up your career and you, they'll never hire you again and all this other stuff. And and, and I, I'm so happy I didn't listen. The best thing I ever did was to stop listening to all the all the people in my ear telling me not to take a chance on me. You know, I, I just felt it. I felt God was telling me. I really kid you not. I mean, God inside me was like, boys, you're a fucking, you're, you're, you are a fucking nuclear bomb. Like if the world gets a chance to hear some of these ideas that are in your head, you will change the entire planet permanently. You will be in a history book. And and I kid you not, like, you know, 
I'm actually in history books now. There are history books out there that that where I'm in. There's a little part on voice, but but now it doesn't even matter. Like I got to the point where I don't even care about that stuff anymore because I know all this arbitrary. But still, you know, and and so the only thing I regret actually was that I didn't figure that out sooner, and I didn't actually go harder. You know, so so here's the thing that, that this is my simple point, and I'm just this is a stream of consciousness. I know I'm I probably so to some people I probably sound like I'm rambling, but but those of y'all that get it, you know, you're welcome to hang out and just kind of keep chatting with me. But but I feel like um, greatness in building inst in institution building requires at least two things. Um, it does require like some talent and training that means you got to commit yourself to get really good at something whatever it is you're trying to do you got to really train and that and, and and for me it was going through the rigors of the phd program which was the hardest thing i ever did but then it had then it secondly requires like lots of confidence like you gotta really be ready to take that shot <laughs> like, you gotta like you can't really be holding back you can't be like oh well i'm nervous and i don't want to no you gotta like find some conversation you need to have with yourself to just go shoot your shot and go as hard as you possibly can. And then I think it takes like some, some level of discipline and commitment to deal with the situations where your shot completely misses, you know, or when you get your teeth knocked out, <laughs> like you got to have some resilience in you where you don't internalize the fact that you got your ass kicked and somehow take that to mean that you need to stop doing what you're doing. Because I do believe now that I'm looking at my life, looking back at it now, again, I'm not 21 anymore. I'm not 31. I'm not 41. I'm 51 years old. So I, I'm, I'm so some of y'all may seem old. Some of y'all may seem young. Some of y'all might be your age. But looking at it right now from where I'm looking in the rearview mirror, it's like I'm super happy that I got to a point about the age of 28 where I stopped giving a fuck what people thought about what I was doing next. It was at that age where I gained just enough um, confidence or even arrogance to accept and acknowledge that I just had ideas that other people, a lot of people were not going to understand. Like I did, that was when I, I think that's when I started transitioning into that you know, maybe genius space, if you want to call it that. I mean, think about it. I'm 28. I had been teaching college for about seven years at that point. I mean, how many 28-year-old black men can say I've been teaching on college campuses for seven years? Uh, that, this was, what, 20, how many years ago? 20, what's that, 20, uh, 23 years ago. 23 years ago, I've been teaching college for seven years. I didn't even realize how abnormal that was. I just, I was just trying to get to my PhD program. So, but it was at that point where I was like, boys, you got to stop listening to other people, because most of the people you're listening to don't understand what you understand. They can't see what you see. So the frustration would come. And this is the thing. Like some of you may not get it. Some of you may be, um, you know, some some people in this, in this room are just going to be like, OK, what the hell is he talking about? He's arrogant. He's a I get it. But some of you are visionaries. You know, some of you are visionaries. Some of you are highly skilled at what you do. Some of you are really committed to your your your, your dream and you're pro black and you're working hard every day. And those are the people I like talking to the most. I relate to you the most. I can't relate to people that, you know, that just want to go in a different direction. God bless them. I, I wish them the best. Um, and I, I just really think that if you're a true visionary in terms of what you want to do, you really have to have faith in that vision. And you got it. Like, you can't waste time trying to explain that vision to people that have no vision. 
Because all it's going to do is piss you off and frustrate you and stress you and cause you to lose confidence in what you're trying to do. It doesn't mean you can't take advice. Like, I like to listen to a lot of perspectives. Like, when I have a good idea now, I ask people, like, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? So I, I try to take in as many points of view as I possibly can so that I don't, so I, I know where my blind spots are. But if God really, like, drills it in my heart and says, boys, no, this is it. This is where it needs to go. Now I'm at a point where I just go, man. I just go, you know, and the, chip, the, chip, the chips fall where they may. If it don't work out, then it don't work out, but I'm going to go, you know. So I would encourage you, whatever it is in your life that matters to you, um, I'm going to tell you, I'm also at an interesting stage in my life where a lot of people that I knew growing up and a lot of people that uh, were my elders that I loved, they're getting sick, you know, a lot of cancer, a lot of people getting cancer from all the processed foods and everything. Uh, lots of cancer everywhere. It's kind of crazy. And um, and it's really making me reflect on things. And um, and so as I hit that stage in life, it's, it's reminding me we don't have a lot of time. So whatever it is you want to do, like get up and do it tomorrow. Start working on it tomorrow, you know, because because you don't know you, you, you think you got all the time in the world, but you actually don't. OK. All right. So anyway, I'm done talking. I'm done talking. We we done finished talking about Dion. We talking about all kinds of stuff. <laughs> but anyway, um, it was fun talking to y'all. Thank you for listening. And um, again, if you want to look into that wealth building program for kids and stuff like that that we have in the Black Business School, feel free to go to boyswalkins.com. And a lot of you kids will be home for Christmas and stuff. And maybe it's a good time to introduce them to some good financial concepts. We even created a crypto program for kids um, uh, that, that trains them on crypto. So we have a lot of good stuff. All right, guys. Well, have a good night. And if you could hit the thumbs up button on your way out. And I'll talk to you guys soon. Take care now. Peace.